This is Nerd Podcast Radio, brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash nerdpodcastradio. Check out and support us on Patreon for tons of content, including a bonus episode for each episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, the best way to do that is our Nerd Podcast Radio Facebook page, where we share all sorts of nerdy stuff. You can also find us on Instagram, at Nerd Podcast Radio, and on Twitter, at Nerdcast Radio. Don't forget to review us on iTunes or whatever podcast provider you use. Reviews are important as they help our podcast grow. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio, your nerd home away from home. What's up, everyone? This is your host, Special Mikey, along with the Super Vegan Brian. Hello, nurse. The Cursey Smurf Erica. Hola. I missed you. I missed you, too. <laughs> and we have a very, we have a um, a guest it's host a, this morning, oh, we do. for David. Oh, we have a crazy. guest host we have, and a guest. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm just so excited. It is Mike Myler, the inventor of our widget system, also known as Mike Prime. Hello, everyone. I saw that mute sign and I was like, "Oh my god, he's not going to hit on mute and he's going to say a huge intro." But yes, we're happy to have you back, Mike Myler. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's been uh, it's been a couple months now. Yeah. Did yeah. I have the dog last time I was talking to you? Did I have Pepper yet? I don't remember. Oh. I don't remember a dog. We have a puppy now. No, you did not. Aww. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, now, does somebody want to do drum rolls? We don't need drum rolls. This guy's beyond drum rolls. He's, he's too cool. Drum roll sound. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Today we have with us the... Oh, stop it. Stop that. That's All right, done stop it. We're done. Yeah. Kill it. We have the owner, the creator of the Puffin Forest YouTube channel. We have with us... Ben or Benjamin, I forgot to ask if you were. Ah, Ben, that's fine. Either way is fine. Yeah, <laughs> 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 so good. Anyway, yeah, it's great to be on here. Yeah, it's great to meet you guys. Yeah. All right. It's hey. so good to have you on the episode. We're so happy that you're here. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's good. Right I'm very excited to meet you because I had no idea who you were until about 20 minutes ago. Well, that's good, that's good to know. That's, yeah, you're gonna, we're going to get to know each other. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. That's my favorite. I love going into things blind. Yeah, just ask her about her marriage. No, ma'am. Oh, Mikey, you can't you, you can't put your own problems on other people. Huh? Um, I actually I think that's the um the clue for um hey Mikey. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brian, um, that feel good. That feel good. Hey, feel good hey, man. um, hey Ben. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. I mean, we know who you are, but our listeners might not know. Um, okay. Why did we have you on? Who are you? Oh, so I am an animator. I make Dungeons and Dragons animations. Uh, I tell stories from my RPG games, and um, yeah, that's uh, I've, I'm known for the, the my most popular videos as I did a Critical Role animation, Absurd, um, and I think also the Obelisk Encounters is those are my most famous. I have an especially keen connection with Absurd. Because I have made yeah. and played that character before seeing your oh. video. I have done that exact thing where I've done every single class and yeah, just yeah. ruined the game completely for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I, it's uh, it is it's it's been a character concept that's been going around for a while. You know, the concept of like how many can I multi class? What if I did all of them for the player's handbook? Wait, wait, what version are you playing? Because I thought in three point five you could only multi class once. Oh, oh I am. Fifth. I'm fi- I'm playing fifth edition. Oh. Okay, yeah. so you can multi-class as much as you want. Yeah, correct. Well, the thing is that the way that it works with the restrictions there is that you have to qualify for the class that you have to have a 13 of, of a certain stat to qualify. You just put, like, 13s in everything, and then, except the con, and then you can just multi-class whatever you want. In Pathfinder, now, you can multi-class as no. much as you want, too. And in 3035, you could multi-class yeah. as much as you want, but you got penalized if you weren't multi-classing with one of your favorite classes, and, like, every additional class you picked up, you'd accrue experience more slowly than everyone else. Well, yeah, which is why you didn't do it, because it was dumb. Oh, but, for sure. Oh, it's still dumb. <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't changed. That Damn it, I had a legitimate question for Ben. Erica, I'm I'm very, very sorry. Please continue. 
Okay, so if you put a 13 in every class, but then you take the con modifier or whatever the con is for each one. So what happens if you have like a 13 in Dex and that's what you needed for Rogue or whatever, and then you get another class and it makes you go to 12? Do you lose your Rogue class? Uh, so this one, it does. There's nothing in the in the leveling up that will cause the stats to go down. So if you if you put a 13 in something, you have that 13 there for the rest of the game, theoretically. Oh, okay. That that was my question. Okay, thank you. Although that would be weird if something in game caused you to lose your intelligence. Like what would happen? I I don't think you'd lose your wizarding capabilities if you lost intelligence, but some GMs might. Say, like, no, you're not a wizard anymore. You don't have intelligence. If you take all the martial classes and multi-class just into martial classes, all the ones that are possible, it's actually a pretty decent character. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. That's very decent. <laughs> yeah, well, you're stacking base attack bonus on top of base attack bonus. It's it's not that bad. And you and get a lot of versatility. Did With Absurd, were you ever doing, like, smites? Because that's one of the only things multi-classing characters don't get totally screwed on. Yeah, actually, that was that was the reason why I um I had the paladin was for the smites, and also that way I didn't have to look at my spells because I could just smite things. I think I ended up using it like once or twice. It's this thing of it's like I got a ton of cantrips, I got cunt all these cantrips, and then a bunch of spell slots. Or I could I could only cast first level spells, but I had even like third level spell slots. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like you only know first level spells. So, um, Mikey, what what's our topic today? Well, today we are going to be talking about the fabulous world of homebrew campaigns in RP in RPG tabletop games, as well as many other things. You know us. We don't stick on a narrow, straight, narrow road. We wind, we twist, we do some back loops. We're good. But I'm excited to talk about homebrew games, because we've, we've all played in a few at one point, ran a few at one point, and it's going to be good. But first, what do we have to do, Erica? But first, we're going to play everybody's favorite game, What's Nerdy With You? And we are going to all talk about what the nerdiest thing we did this week was and vote on it. Well, Thanks, not Mike. just this week, but in a for, while. In a while. Because we you, you messed up my whole thing. God I damn didn't it. I mess up anything. I God clarified. damn it. added more. <laughs> He's like, I added more. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I made it better. Okay. Yeah, more like angry Smurf, Erica. There was some courtesy Smurf in there. It was great. Um, at ben, as our guest, um, you get to go first. What was nerdy with you? Oh, boy. Uh, I guess the nerdiest thing uh, I probably did was that um, I had gotten some, like, I'd been working on these different spell cards and stuff, and so I had been setting up these spell layouts, but it's like, it's not for me, it's for the players. Like, just to kind of experiment and sort of play around, like, ooh, this spell and he could take this spell so i'm setting up the spells for characters that i'm not even playing just being like if i was playing that character these are the spells i would be taking just for the players uh which they're probably all going to reject um spell cards is definitely a nerdy thing i have done that before it um oh. did you have any custom spells or is it just spells from the books um i was just playing around with spells from the books erica what was nerdy with you this week i recently got and started playing red dead redemption 2 and I went into this game completely blind. I'd never heard of the first one, much less played the first one. Everybody said this was a great game, and I hate Westerns. But because everybody said it was a really great game, I was like, okay, I'll do that. Um, I got it. It's been a rough learning curve. Um, it is the most unforgiving game I have ever played. Uh, well, other than Dark Souls, but I don't think that counts. Um, and... It's been tough. So I'm like halfway through the game and I realized that that you can make trinkets at like the fences based off like the legendary animals that you can kill. And these trinkets give you essentially permanent bonuses to a lot of the shit you need. And so I stopped playing the actual storyline and I have been exploring the entire map to kill every single legendary animal there is so that my character is the strongest that he could possibly be. With that said, I have sunk about uh, 15 hours just into the hunting of all these legendary creatures since I discovered this. Good and God. then <laughs> I'm a completionist, Mikey. I'm oh, I know. <laughs> oh, I know. So, it still doesn't stop to amaze me. <laughs> so, um, so I'm really into like trying to complete this and get a platinum trophy on PlayStation. And um, 
my friend Nick was like, hey, Erica, uh, can you come over like for a few hours or whatever and hang out? I want to show you some cool stuff. And I was like, okay, sure. And I went over there and what he ended up showing me was Apex, which Uh-oh. takes the world of Overwatch, essentially, not the world of, but like the idea of Overwatch and the idea of Fortnite and it squishes them together. So now I have this internal struggle on whether or not I'm continue to complete Red Dead Redemption or if I'm going to say fuck it and start playing Apex with my friends. So that is my struggle. As a as a mom that is also a nerd, I'm not sure which game I want to play right now. Leap onto the zeitgeist. That's what I say. <laughs> so, there I am. That's it. That was my nerdy thing. The internal struggle of a mom. <laughs> All right. Nice, I, nice. I got... I got well. I happen to have spell cards here because I made the tarot deck for the card caster from the Insider, and that proof came in. But that's not the nerdiest thing. We went to Toronto last week because my wife is cool and she likes this band called Bodyhead that was playing up there. Uh, they're a noise band, which is like I assume the nerdiest thing among people who are into sound. Uh, it's <laughs> like it's not music. I mean, like there's kind of music that happens, but for the most part, it's them like screwing the speaker with their guitar. That is still not the nerdiest thing I did. In Toronto, there is a castle that this crazy dude brought over brick by brick and rebuilt. It's called Casa Loma. That's the nerdiest thing that I did. They filmed uh, the X-Men movies there and a bunch of other things. Like Basically, whenever they need a castle, they go there. And Ooh. it was extra nerdy because we went during like March break or something, like Canadian spring break. So they had like special events and there was like a trebuchet and there were two different dragons walking around. Like one, one of those like you know, cartoony mascot dragons, and then also one that was like, uh, you know, the dinosaur costumes people used to scare people? Oh, yeah, Like yeah. that, but yeah, made up like a dragon, yeah. Oh, that's That cool. is fantastic. Dude, it was awesome. Wait, I... so you, you, you spent time at a castle? In a castle, yes. We we walked up to the tops of both towers. Uh, we walked around in the there's like a like a, a, a almost a thousand or three thousand foot long or a kilometer long like underground tunnel. That you walk through, it was crazy. If you ever go Dude. to Toronto, you have to go to Castle Now, Mike, I am so glad you are here because I can actually compete with this this week. Oh, snap! Yeah. Oh, I, boy. Heather and I went to see a community theater presentation of The Doctor's Dream, A Midsummer Adventure, which was a mashup of Doctor Who and A Midsummer Night's Dream by Shakespeare. Oh, fuck, dude. That's, oh, that's, man. Oh, man. It was amazing. We found it in a local paper and went to it sight unseen. We didn't know it was a children's production until we got there. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to tell you, those kids can act. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Um, Puck stole the, sh- stole the show. It was... It was all about Puck and Bottom. I don't know how many people here are familiar with the Midsummer Night's Dream, oh, but it was all about Puck and Bottom. Bottom is the character that gets turned into an ass. And the Doctor also gets turned into an ass, which is hilarious. It was it was absolutely incredible. A young woman played the Doctor. The companion was sort of a mashup of the Seventh Doctor's companion and um and um Rose. Oh, cool. Um but it was it was absolutely incredible. It was a really, really great show. It was we couldn't have been more surprised. And um, information on that was um, Multnomah Art Center and um, Studio Theater. It was it was such a great show. Um, the uh, the it, it kind of ran like a Doctor Who episode where the doctor and the companion landed on a um, landed on a pla- on, on planet Shakespeare. And it was a tourist planet where you get to interact and participate in a Shakespeare play. And each planet is a different play. And this one was Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, there were three witches that were also there. So it sort of mashed up Macbeth too. And the three witches were aliens that were hunting the doctor. The The master was involved and the master was introduced as an innocuous character that turns out to be the master later. It was so amazing. We really, really enjoyed it a lot. So that is mine. Mikey, what was nerdy with you? For Mikey, me, it doesn't matter. Brian just won. <laughs> I, figured. <laughs> I figured. I've been planning that for three weeks just to win the contest. I just want to let you all know. <laughs> uh, well, for me, I was actually in a wedding yesterday. A good friend of mine, he married the love of his life at a castle in San Diego County. 
like call it a castle. It's more like a really nice rustic ca- uh, mansion, actually. I was gonna say what castle? No, it's it's a it's a it's uh the Woodson uh castle. So Mount Woodson Castle. So it's just that really rustic mansion at a country club. It was really nice. The nerdy thing is, I helped him supply his nerdy exit from his wedding. Which is right after they pronounce the man and wife, they kiss, and as they go to leave, the Indiana Jones music starts blasting out of the speaker system, and my fedora goes onto his head, and they run out. Oh, that's fun! Yeah. So, um, now we're going to do voting. Erica, please explain this to everybody. Okay, so everybody has, what, there's five of us, four of us, five of us, six widgets. So everybody has six widgets, and then you can dole them out in any amount that you want, and then whoever has the most widgets win and then everybody else gets a negative widget that they can apply to anybody they want to change the balance at the end yeah it's basically if you decide to be an asshole you can be you can apply widgets to yourself if you do you are a terrible person but we have all been terrible people in the past except for mikey mikey i don't think has ever been a terrible person i could be wrong about that we've done 129 of these yeah i'm not sure i think everybody's done it. i feel pretty good that i have not voted for myself I don't know about that, Mike. I just, I I don't remember specifically, but just by your nature, I can imagine that you voted for yourself, but you made it seem like you were doing something good. You know, you're just, you're just stereotyping me as a rogue and I don't appreciate being (laughs) put into a box like that, man. (laughs) I I think a bard would be more likely to do something like that. I mean, you are a writer. Mm, Okay, sure. We'll say I'm a bard. All right, Ben, you have six widgets. Where would you like to distribute them? Okay, I'm just going to I'm going to give everyone one and then um I'm going to give you each one and then I will give uh Brian two additional ones. I have six widgets, so I'm going to give Brian three. And then um Erica, um I am going to give three of my widgets to Ben because I All think right. that's super cool. Yeah. For his game group, because I would love a DM that would have done something like that. And then I'm going to give two to Brian, because kids and adorableness. I'm going to give one to Special Mikey, because I think that was fun that you did that for a wedding for your friend. Mike Prime, the creator of the widgets. Where would you like to play yours? I think I'm going to give two widgets to everyone but you and myself uh, to be as difficult as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I am going to I'm going to give one to everybody, including myself. And then I am going to give my extra widget to Erica because game binges are super nerdy. It is in the spirit of the game. And, um, Mikey, are you back? Mikey, um, you're muted. And, um, where would you like to place your widgets? You have six. I have six widgets. They all go to Ben. All right. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> and Ben won. Popular contest wins. Ben won. <laughs> I, he got the, the, um, the fanboy bonus. Ben, as the winner, you get the yeah. widgets. We will ship them to you. We don't need your address. We're able to home them in on your frequency. Oh, awesome. Um, cool. We will use the Nerd Podcast Radio Extra Dimensional Portal to send them. Um, unfortunately, what this does is the widgets are already irradiated, and they gain sentience by sending them to you via this method. So be very, very careful with the widgets. Always talk in a nice tone around them. And All right. All right. All right. This seems like it's more trouble than it's worth. <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah, the contract you signed requires you to take custody of the widgets. That's, uh, that's really weird. Uh, they, they are sentient um, creatures, so um, CPS will be called if they are mistreated. Uh, uh, okay, I guess I have to now. And um, now we were on. What are we talking about again, Mikey? We're talking about homebrews, but man, I want to talk about Al. Ben is now obligated to raise these irradiated witches. That's going to be fine. I'm going to train them. They're going to be living in my household. They're going to get trained up. I'm going to split them in half. Like, they'll be trained to fight each other. And uh, we're just going to see which widget uh, climbs out on top, you know. They uh, are competitive by nature. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. This is the best. Uh, Well, yeah, we are going to talk about homebrews. Mr. Ben. I go by Mr. 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 
Mr. Mr. Ben Benjamin. No, but we've all been in. We've all played tabletop games. We've all been in many RPGs. You know, some some based off the Firefly show, some some for the Old West, and but most of them for for the Dungeons and Dragons variety. But we've, we've they've come in mice books. You know, for 100% rule sets that were, that are fully mapped out. But every once in a while, we'll find games where people are like, "I like these rules. I'm gonna take them. I'm gonna make them mine. And this whole story is now mine." No modules, no full guides. This is the world of the homebrew. We've all been in them. We ran a few, too, because we just had stories we wanted to tell. And I just have to say, you know, what would, like, kind of what, like, what's the experience? Like, like how do you want to start these things? Like, do you, do you find them? Do you just find yourself wanting to tell a story? Or do you just find yourself wanting to have a good time with your friends? So as far as my experience with homebrew content... Um, actually most, a lot of my games, most of the games that I run at like home games, it's all been like homebrew stuff. Uh, and it, it's, it hasn't been like some of the later groups that I played that with our veterans have been like, you know what? I think I want to use like a campaign book or something. So my primary experience is with homebrew, uh, stuff. And most of the time when I play in games, uh, what will happen is someone's like, oh, I'm going to start an adventure and they either have some campaign in mind. Or it starts off with, hey, we're a group of friends. We want to play D&D on Friday. And it's like, okay, I'll have a mountain. And you guys can climb the mountain and go kill orcs there. Are there orcs there? And so they basically start with kind of a generic world. And there's not a whole heck of a lot of details. And then as plot lines start coming up, they slowly kind of expand outward around the players. And then that's So for you, it's thing. like, for you, it's like an organic experience. Yeah, yeah. I, I... I really have not, like, there was one time I sat down and was like, I'm going to generate an entire world and uh, sat down and, and made a bunch of plot threads. But ultimately what ha- what I found was that players would pick one pl- uh, plot thread and then be chasing after that. And so the other ones would just kind of languish. And so it's better for, for me what I found is it's like, okay, whatever they chase down, I just start developing material for whatever they're interested in as opposed to just kind of like developing there's an entire town off in the north that that maybe they never explore as opposed to um trying to be more focused on this is where the players are now that's what i'm going to be working on and that's what a good like somebody who's been playing a really fucking long time does because the best fucking laid plans of mice and men like as a GM, if you sit down and you try to fucking everything out, it's just going to come back to bite your ass later because you wasted all this fucking time and nobody decided to go down the fucking yellow brick road. Uh, there's some people who really love planning and some people who really hate it and just kind of want to go off the cuff. I consider myself someone who's kind of in the middle where I like having a plan ahead of time and then it allows I'll develop some content and make the content kind of modular. So that way it's like, oh, if the players go off direction or go off here, I can make some materials kind of swing over to meet them. So that way, because players, when they go off in a random direction, they think they're going towards content. They don't think they're they're going off into no man's land, but they're not going to find anything. They think they're going off to find something interesting. And so there's some content that's kind of malleable. So that way they can kind of interact with it no matter where they're going. Um, I don't like it to be too freeform because I've had some games where it's just like you're wandering around in a town and there's not really anything to do or you go to a town, there's nothing to do. You go to another town, there's nothing to do. And I think that's a little bit too dry in my opinion. All right. So I want to, I want to jump in really quick as, as captain publishy guy, what you guys are, are, are talking about is, is ultimately this concept of, of like, what is a campaign setting? There's a definition. Somebody graphic. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm going to tell you what campaign setting really is. It's, the mode in which you're going to tell a story, right? So you can yeah. go ahead and tell, um, you know, a wuxia tale set in Eberron, and it might be really fun, but Eberron's probably going to do a better job of this, like, mystery, intrigue-laden city, you know, murder mystery thing, as opposed to, like, you know, flying around monks, kicking, jumping off tree branches and stuff. Like, uh, Forgotten Realms isn't super... Conan-y, like there's a bunch of high magic around, there's a lot of established history and lore, so you're not going to, if you if you try to run like a barbarian tribal experience, I'm not saying you can't, there are certain areas of Forgotten Realms where that will work out, but for the most part, it's not built for that. Yeah, yeah. and to your point, Mike, I think theme has a lot to do with it, and I think that's something that you set the tone for with your group, 
Like when you're setting a homebrew, you have to set some sort of tone. And the character, I mean, the players will generally tell you what kind of tone they want based on the characters they make, in my opinion. It's good to have, have session zeros for stuff like this, just to lay the ground rules, because like my regular group tried to do Curse of Strahd. We are all way too catty for that, and we didn't go in there ready for like Dread and Grimdark. We went in there like our normal D&D murder hobo characters do, and so uh, it did not play out as it really should have in that like horror-themed campaign setting. Sometimes what happens is that when players go into a setting that's actually serious, they sometimes play a, a character that is, is loose and kind of silly and stuff, and they expect the world to be the straight man, where it's like, I'm kind of clowning around or being ridiculous. And then they want the world to be gritty and serious, but they want to have, like, that's that's the humor to them. But um, But sometimes GMs don't necessarily want that. They actually want you to be on the same page as the world. If the world is serious and gritty, they want you to be serious and gritty as well. Well, honestly, that's one reason why I liked running my Firefly game uh, that Brian took part of, because the world is supposed to be kind of fairly serious, but you can also have that good comedy. And when I hope, when I made my, when I made my campaign in that world, we had so much fun because it ended up being like episodes in, in Firefly and we'd stayed true to the show. We only did one season. Yeah, now. <laughs> I got a, I got a question. Is it the player's responsibility to make their characters match the world, or is it the GM's responsibility to adjust the world to the players? I think it's the GM's responsibility to adjust the world to the players. Like, because the whole point is that you're, is that you're there to have fun with the other players, especially when we're talking about homebrews. If we're talking about, you know, like established Pathfinder society and stuff like that, then that's a whole other thing. The players need to adjust to what is established. But when we're talking about homebrews, the idea is that everybody's going to have fun. And if the GM has this idea in mind that they want this serious fucking game and the fucking players want to do It's Always Always Sunny in Philadelphia, then that's what it needs to be adapted to. And that's kind of what I was going to say when we're talking about Strahd, because our GM, Brent who Brent Bowser, who has been on the show before. Um, love me some Brent. <laughs> I love Brent. He did not tell us what we were going to be playing. He had us make characters and he set the guidelines for the characters and told us, you know, you could do this, but not this, this, but not this. And we created these characters and then he dropped us in fucking Ravenloft. <laughs> no, it was, it was great, and it was great because he is one of those GMs that will adapt the game to meet what his players want. So we created these characters that were funny and goofy and had these, like, hilarious backstories. Like, I had a drow uh, or a half-drow bard that was an emo, essentially rock band kind of character, and it was supposed oh, to be hilarious. And he made the world adapt to it. And we adapted the world in the in the way that we wanted to, because we decided that we were going to play an evil campaign instead of a good campaign. So it was that adaptability, I think, is what is key for a homebrew, because the whole point of a homebrew isn't to play a game and get the most experience and have the most badass character. The point of a homebrew is to fucking have fun with it. And if you can't adapt to have fun with it, why are you sitting there arguing with each other? The interesting part of that is you guys were playing a pre-published adventure, and you changed Uh it into a homebrew by getting a GM who was willing to adapt it how you guys wanted it to be. Yeah, and that's exactly what he did. He flipped the script. It was all the same, like, interactions and stuff like that, but instead of us working for the good of the people he realized that we weren't going to play the good guys. And he, in the beginning, like towards the beginning of the game, had Strahd reach out to us directly and made us his henchmen. And so, yeah, that's how he adapted. It was very clever. So then we went through the world and we did, we on behalf of Strahd and basically subjugated everybody. And then at the end, we then turned on Strahd and killed Strahd. And then we now rule Ravenloft. So, that's how we did that. Oh, that's pretty cool. Emo bard. It's Welcome to uh, Ravenloft. On, on that note, as far as, as working with the players and stuff like that, 
I do, um, the thing is that for me, I kind of like, ooh, these are the players I want to play with. And then I invite them to the table and then we all talk about the game we want to play. Like, obviously, you you have to adapt it around the players because if you don't do that, you're not going to be a GM for very long because you're going to lose your players. Like, if you, it, the thing is that for me, I always start with these are the people I want to play with. How do I keep them at the table? You know, like, what's the stuff that, that they're interested in? And so for me, it is important to kind of think about what do they want and make sure that I'm playing a game that they're interested in to an extent. There, there is like, I haven't really had this to, to some extent, but like there are some players who are just so out there. They're so like, I cannot play with this person just because their interests are so far removed from my own that it's like, that is in, although with that group, you just, you, I mean, at that point, it's almost impossible to play. Like you're talking about people who are so, different from your own interests that it's like, how do we even come together as a table, you know, to play? Or if you're a player in a group and they're just trying to play something really different. And, um, for, and once again, for me, it's like the problem is that if, if you don't adapt around the players, you, the players lose interest and then you don't have it at a table anymore. And so it's great for group cohesion to just be like, make sure everyone is having the most fun that they can have at the table. And I think you hit the nail on the head there with my point. You have to make sure everybody's having the most fun at the table. Um, Ben, I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, what's better, homebrew or pre-published? Okay, so the the two of those they're very different, and it really and once again really depends on the group. Um, I like the freedom of homebrew where you can just kind of BS and just kind of go by the seat of your pants, and the the narrative can do. Ooh, we're doing this now. We're doing this and. It has there's such flexibility where you can be on an island, be like, I want to be in the desert. And so you can just go off and now you're in a desert and it has that flexibility. But with a pre-published, it's you know set in stone. Uh, some people like that. Some people like it because it feels more real because you have a map and they're actual locations because they're drawn on a map. And some people really like that. Um, personally, um, for the longest time, I avoided pre-published adventures. Um, one which I absolutely love is Tomb of Annihilation. Now, here's the thing, is that at the beginning, the start of the adventure, is you're going around Schult and you're exploring different places and people really like that. But the thing that I love to run is the tomb itself. And the reason why I love to run the tomb is because you have a Sirak and his, uh, he sets up these r riddles and these different puzzles and the players have to overcome them. There's like these different rooms and they kind of move around and then there are these keys, and the keys have their mind of their own, and they're moving through the dungeon. And uh, with each room, you have these riddles and different ways to solve it. And you have to solve the riddle to solve the room. You can either brute force them or not. And um, I really love running that dungeon uh, because it's it's so cleverly made, just in terms of it, there's a lot of really great gameplay elements for the players. And it's like, man, I would never have come up with this. Honestly, some some of the, the modules I run, it's like, oh, there's a bunch of orcs. Like, go over there and kill them. That's like, I could have made that up. Like, that's easy. That's, you know, I've done so many fortresses before. Like, that's no problem for me. On that note, so you get more freedom with, with homebrews, and you tend to prefer them. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask the game the game designer, uh, Mike Prime, what's better, homebrews or or um, pre-published? I mean, from someone who writes pre-published, what, what would you say to that? A lot of people uh, like that I end up talking to buy my books contact me later and, and explain their campaigns and stuff, which I love. If you buy any of my stuff and, and you use it, please tell me about how you used it and how it went. And the mo But most of the time, they end up taking it and modifying it enough where it stops feeling to me like it's it's like the original source material and it's their homebrew world, which is cool. It's what you should be doing with it. Like You're the game master... All of the books, everything that happens at the table is at your discretion, right? So if you want to change something, change it. Uh, I would say that I prefer homebrews, obviously. That's why I keep making these giant world books. The start is like, the, the first one was like, because like when I, in high school I played in a Forgotten Realms game that went on forever. And then kind of stopped playing during college. After college, I hung out with a group. And there was like a revolving GM thing. And, and I was like, okay, so where's the map? And they're like, what map? And I was like, okay, so you guys don't have like a map of where you've been. And they were like, no. So I started making the map. And so, like, every time somebody would take over for a game, there'd be a new country or area, and then eventually I became the GM, so then it became a world map, and now there's the Verantia Codex. And and that's how it, it keeps being for me. I want to run these open-world games where you can go anywhere and do anything, and I know what will basically happen, and after you get there, I'll make more details and stuff, but I can I can get a session or two 
down pat. Like we can play for six hours before I need prep time to do this or that. And, and, uh, it's a terrible habit to have. I'll say that. I'm glad that I've monetized it in some way, but is it, it is a, it's, it's better just to, to, to take something that somebody has already done that for and then make it your own. No, I would say the thing to do is to use pre-published stuff and, and make it your own with your own characters and, and, and changes and alterations. There is one other thing which I do want to bring up off of his point, which is that sometimes what happens is that whenever you have a creative problem, you go down the same road. Like, you have a way of solving it. So, oh, I have to get the players together. I use this thing. You have a way of doing it. And the problem, the thing is that when you run a pre-published adventure, they can show you different options and they can force you down different roads that you didn't even think about. And so you can be going through a module or a pre-published thing and it's be like, Psh, I wouldn't, there's a tower over there. Like I wouldn't have the tower abandoned. There would be like a sorcerer. No, a dragon. Oh, it collects gold from the t- nearby town. And so it can start your imagination working and reading other people's material can force you, uh, can cause you to go down certain routes that you normally would not go down. So, for example, I remember when I ran one of the games, it said there was an Aboleth, and he had this weird split personality where he would alternate between his two different personalities. And <laughs> when I read it, I'm like, oh, God. And the, the players really liked it. But the, the point is, is that I never would have run that character if I had not been forced to. Never would have ran that Aboleth had I not uh, been forced to in that module where it said, this is the way it works, this is the way he operates, and... I've even found out some some surprises where I'll read something in the book. And I'm like, oh, the players are going to hate this. They're going to hate this. And then it turns out that they really, really like it. And it, it you can always find these little surprises. Yeah, to, to your point, you can take, you know, pre-published material. And when you develop it and, you know, try to run it the way you're quote unquote supposed to, it can develop in the moment and make a fun campaign. So there, there are both pros and cons to, you know, following the, the guidelines, if you will. At Adventures, ahead, when, I, when I run for Adventures League, I have to run it, you know, I try to run it close to the book. And um, and once again, it's very interesting to look at a module and it's like, wow, this module is terrible. But if I wanted to make it good, how would I run it? You know, kind of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's interesting taking those because they're kind of a challenge and then can cause you to think about stuff. And then, oh, the players like this, but they hated this. And then now I have a new tool in my toolbox. Exactly. Like the the more games you play, both published and unpublished, and you get the feel of your players, because the players are always, you know, well, not always different, but depending on, you know, what incarnation you're playing, you may not be playing with the same people all the time. And so being able to like adapt to that. One of the one of the campaigns I created, I decided that I I wanted as little planning as possible. What I really wanted to do was, you know, if you have if you have a solid concept of the rules and the world, you know, how things work, you can pretty much adapt anything, right? I decided I wanted to go through the uh, the uh, bestiary and figure out as a player what creatures have I never faced before. And why have I never faced them? Where would I face them? And how I would go about that. So what I did is I created, well, I took kind of like spell cards and I took the creatures and I put them on cards and I basically randomized the scenario. I let the players choose what city, and this was put in Forgotten Realms. They chose what city they wanted to start at. And then I essentially took all these creatures and made it so that they would interact with them. So they ended up being on a ship and fighting mermaids, which I thought was super fun. There's just different ways to approach it. You can approach it having the set story in mind, or you can know enough about the world to be able to direct something in in a way that allows them the freedom. I find that to be true about pre-published too, because in a homebrew, you know about your world. I mean, at least you know about as much as you have to. So if the players do something unpredictable, you can guide them in the right direction. In a pre-published adventure, you have to be very familiar with that source material if they're going to do – or just extremely good at improv if they do something completely unexpected. Um, but that's really all I have to say about that. It, I guess that's just true for um, Dungeon Masters. You have to be familiar with your setting and be good at improv. 
Well, that's, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Whenever you buy that book and you read it and you say, I'm, I'm telling this story here, it's your story. No matter where you're setting, it's still your story, and the world's going to be predicated to help sell a certain kind of – hopefully your story is that same kind of story. Maybe it's antithetical to that, which can also be really fun. But, like, it's still your story. So, like, change the elements yeah. that need to be changed. Oh, don't, so what like, Mike agonize saying, over it. Don't let the player be like, but on page 37, as soon as they say page 37, you smack that book out of their hands. And you say, no, it's my story. This is the world. This is what it is. Have you ever done that before? There was one time where this dude who was new to the group sat down, and he was I was I was playing. I wasn't the GM. And we're fighting this green dragon. We're all getting our asses kicked. And somebody, like, crits, and, and then, you know, Chris, the GM, writes something down. And then this new guy, Fish, is like, oh, sweet. It's down to 72 hit points. And we all just, like, looked at him, jaws dropping, like, oh, my God, what did you just do? So then Chris is like, oh, you see the wounds on the dragon heel. And he just erases a bunch of stuff off his notes. We're like, fuck. That's the only time where I almost hit somebody. Punishing the players for meta. Yep. So, mm-hmm. um. We're um we're running out of time for topic, but I want to ask um I want to ask Ben something, and this is me being indulgent, having Ben on the podcast. What is your favorite story about a homebrew game? Uh, favorite story about a homebrew game? I've already told a lot of my good stories. Um, the uh, I'm trying to think of homebrew. Uh, one of the best stories was uh, Tarhogar and Garethor, where this was this is an old story I told a, a long time ago, but basically. It was, we had this um, guy we were chasing down called Tarhogar, and um, our benefactor was named Garethor, and it turns out that Tarhogar, the guy we were chasing down, what, and Garethor were the same person, and Tarhogar is an anagra- it's um, rearranged letters of Garethor. Um, and so there, there was like that twist, and then we also had this thing where um, one of our PCs like, uh, actually ended up betraying us, and it, it turned out, it actually worked out really well, uh, narratively, because this one player kept tr- almost dying over and over, and there was someone who worshipped the Raven Queen, and he was like, I think the Raven Queen's telling me that this person should just die. Like, maybe I'm getting a sign from my guy <laughs> that this person should be dead. And then he kept saving him over and over again, and then when he betrayed the party, he was like, I was right! Uh, they were! Like, the Raven Queen was telling me that I should just let him die the whole time! <laughs> it actually it worked out really well. I loved it. That's perfect. Oh, that's funny. I love uh, that. Okay. And actually, what was funny was that he was telling us the whole time that, oh, this is, we need to do this, and uh, and uh, this person's going to betray us, and blah, blah, blah. He actually figured out the entire adventure, like, very early on, but no one, be- my character did not believe him. The The thing was, is that he was playing as an Aarakocra, so I was like, oh, that's so cute. You think you're a person. You're not a person. <laughs> you're a bird. <laughs> So when he was right, he was just yelling at me, and I just put, straight up punched him in the face. <laughs> this whole time, I this whole time I was thinking I hadn't heard that story before, and as soon as you said that you think you're a person, you're a bird, I'm like, oh yeah, I watched that video. Yeah, I was gonna say was, I recognize that character. Oh, I, I want I wanted to hear him tell the story all over again because it's funny. <laughs> yeah, the um, I I've also as far as the bird thing, I've used the same line um in Breaking into the Castle. Like, you're not a person. You're a bird. That's <laughs> so cute. You think you're a person. We've even, we've even had this one thing where one time we were at a, at a mansion and we left, left him outside. So there's this big storm and he's like trying to get let into the house. I'm like, oh, why don't you go roost in a tree? And he flips us the double bird as he flies away. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, you know, okay. I have to tell one of my favorite homebrew stories. It's uh, okay. I was going to ask you next. Oh, good. Because it has you in it, Brian. Everybody gets one. I think you know what story it is, Brian. Okay, go ahead. So for for a while there, I like I said, I ran a I ran a uh, Firefly uh, game, and I hope I got the rule set and I homebrewed an adventure off of it. And Brian played this very mysterious character that everybody called Oz. He was the he was the wizard of he was uh, the wizard of the uh, cortex. Basically, he was very talented at many things. Well, they had to break into this mansion because there was a they, there was a ship there. One of the original arcs that brought everybody to the new galaxy was uh, buried underneath this mansion, and they were going to try and get something out of it. Well, one of the the pilot and one of the the crew members were out like kind of having fun, and they were starting to get in trouble with the guards. And then Brian's character arrives and slips what was supposed to be blood thinners into wine, 
and he ends up killing the head of the like ends up killing the guards and the tigers like freaking out what are we gonna do with the bodies what are we gonna do with the bodies they're right here and he's like we got this throws them into the engine compartment of a hovercraft and burns them up and like he's just sitting there watching it and the other two guys are sitting there like the characters and people were just crying like he's gonna kill us next (laughs) (laughs) when when i started playing michael's campaign he asked me to make a character and i had just finished binging burn notice and i wanted to make a character that was michael weston but i wanted to um introduce the character as a alias and i didn't want anybody to know who he was so i played him like super nerdy and asthmatic and i had introduced the character as um having hemophilia and everybody thought that i was this hemophiliac nerd i was the navigator of the ship but really i was like a super spy and i was using blood thinners to make myself hemophiliac to sell the story well, I had started to wean myself off of the blood thinners, and I had a whole bunch of these blood thinners. And I came up on these guys, slipped the blood thinners. I, I was posing as a waiter, and at the time, I was in disguise, so the guys in the party didn't know who I was. They didn't realize I was their party member. And I had taken the drinks, the guards took the drinks from me, and downed them with a full dose of blood thinners, and just started bleeding out of all orifices. My character was also squeamish to blood, so I started puking. <laughs> and um, after I got over my puking ratch, sc- strangled the other guard with surgical cord that I had used to inject my blood thinners. It was it was great because it was the first time they were revealed of who my character really was. And they were like, who is this psycho? Because yeah. I had just been the nerdy navigator the entire time for like six sessions before this came up. Yeah. But like, but also he had, I I was like, so what do you look like as the waiter? When he finally revealed it was him, he goes, oh, I look like Jared Leto from Fight Club. That's hilarious. Oh my God. And I was, well, I knew he liked Fight Club, Erica, but I didn't know how much at the time. And then I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. And then like a couple years down the road, we were actually talking about his obsession. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, it's a lot. He likes it a lot. So I had a, a, a game once in, uh, in to which, uh, we had a kind of something similar, Brian, but I was more on the, on the level than you were. <laughs> um, I was playing, uh, a, a ninja. I think it was a ninja in Pathfinder. Um, and we, we were in the city and there was an asylum. So we go into this asylum and there's just crazy people everywhere. And we're trying to hunt this guy down. Uh, and he had run into the asylum and I had a paladin in my party, a rogue in my party, a cleric and a fighter, I think. And, um, we go in there and one of the lunatics starts trying to bite somebody's ankle. And so my character kills him. I just like, just straight kill them. They're like wrapped in a straight jacket. And the paladin freaks the fuck out on me. And he's like, how could you do that? I'm going to, like, tie you up. You can't just murder people and start screaming at my character. And I was like, he was a threat. He's like, he's not a threat. He was tied up. He tried to bite you. That doesn't count. And it was like this huge, like, character-to-character fight. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to work. So I end up knocking the paladin, the paladin unconscious. One of the other fighters, while I was fighting with the paladin, started letting the people out of their straitjackets. And the moment he started letting the people out of their straitjackets, they started full on attacking our party. And so we had to put them all down. And the paladin comes to and he's like, what happened? And I turned to him and I said, it's only evil until you're right. And we just moved on through the party. <laughs> so it worked out really well. Mike, what's your favorite story about homebrews? Oh, God. Okay. I'm going to go back to, to high school. And we, we just like, actually, I think it was, this might have been during middle school. We've convinced my friend's older brother to run a game for us. And it was just like, the two of us, we're, we're playing Elven Brothers, we're going to look for our brother who's gone missing. And we played these characters for over a year and hundreds of hours, hundreds of hours, because this is back in the day where, you know, everyone had time. So we had like eight, 10, 12, 13 hour sessions every week. And we're going north 
to like try to intercede with this you know political intrigue and stop a war from happening and, and we're supposed to be on the down low and we've run to these mercenaries and normally the character's brother elaith i was playing wrong here elaith is like a bloodthirsty madman you know he's just a psycho just killing everybody but for whatever reason i think because i had pissed stevie off that week or something uh he was like we can't kill these mercenaries and i'm, I'm rank here's like well i don't want to but we have to like we're, they're gonna let us let people know we're up here and he's like no we can't we argued about this in game for four fucking hours and he just would not relent and so eventually i was like you know what fine uh, I fly up and I fireball them. And Chris is like, okay, everybody roll initiative. Of course, Elaith beats me on initiative. And he's got this weapon called the God's Bane. The God's Bane, I don't know if it's still around, but in 3.0 D&D, it was this this thing that could kill and, and injure gods. But if you happen to critical like a mortal creature with it, it just destroyed it instantly. Stop me if you can figure out where I'm going here. So he wins on initiative, flies up, just bats Rankir with it, critical hit, completely destroys, annihilates the character. No wish, no resurrection, nothing. Gone forever. <sighs> Stevie lands. He, like, looks around, kind of, like, steeples his fingers, and he's like, you know what? I think we're going to have to kill these mercenaries. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm still... Yeah, right? Oh, Holy God! God! <gasps> wow, what an end. <laughs> um, I don't know if I can even talk anymore after hearing that. Um, Damn. All right, so now we're going to play that one movie, where we talk about that one movie with those one people that did that one thing where they accomplish stuff. And um, we try to guess the movie the person is talking about. Um, this is the worst game ever. Um, everyone's going to have trouble thinking of movies, but I got one to start. Um, I would like everybody to think about that one movie um, with that rich guy that um, put a whole bunch of money into an opera singer who ended up being terrible. You know that one movie with that rich guy who um, tried to get that opera singer? Citizen Kane, who got that right? Citizen Kane, yeah. Who got that right? Me. I, I don't know who me is. I can only hear oh, voices. I'm ben. Hey, I'm ben. ben got one. Oh my god, that was a hard one too. Oh man, that real way to go, Ben. Um, does anybody got a one movie? I'm trying to think. I'll try and come up with one. Erica had to leave, or else she would have had a good one. I'm sure. Oh, Erica's gone. I didn't even notice. I got I was one. I got one. I got one. All right, go ahead. Uh, the guy sends his guy to go steal uh, staff from a bunch of other people who aren't really sure what they're doing but manage to get it anyway. At one point, there's a bald dude with lipstick, and uh, by the time the movie's over, everyone regrets what happened. That seems like a Dungeons & Dragons movie. Oh, the first <laughs> one! The first one. Yes, first one. Which I, I, look, that, look, it wasn't a great movie, but I, I I actually kind of enjoyed it. Ben, we have discovered your secret talent. I don't know. I, I I will say that I am kind of like on riddles. I'm kind of quick on the draw with, with those. As far I, as I, I heard the bald guy with lipstick, and I was like, that sounds really familiar, but I couldn't think of it. Actually, when you said bald guy with lipstick, I actually, I immediately was like, I'm pretty sure that's the Dungeons and Dragons movie, but it was like <laughs> the problem. I was like, no, there's no way he's referencing that. But then when you said like stealing a staff, I'm like, Okay, that's too particular as well. There's a little bit of a give, the, the Damodar. Uh, it's hard to forget Damodar. I uh, hate yeah. riddles. I want you in every game I ever play from now on because I hate riddles. I hate them with a passion. I, I, I mean, in games anyway, but I, I absolutely, I'm that player that just goes fuck this and walks away from the table while everybody figures out the riddle. Oh, I understand. Yeah, I get it. The the other thing is that with riddles, like there's an interest curve where sometimes it's like, ooh, you know, introduce. Some people, they like riddles, but it passes a certain point where it becomes, okay, now the riddle is just laughing at me. Now it just thinks it's better than I am. <laughs> I was in a game once that had a riddle, and um, it was um, it had to do with sheet music. And I was all prepared to be like, I hate riddles, I'm walking away. But I looked at the riddle and went, hey, I can read sheet music, and figured out the riddle really quick. And I felt really good about myself that I figured out that riddle. Um <laughs> And it was it was this number of statues and the sheet music spelled out words. But if I couldn't read sheet music, as a lot of people at the table would, that was a really stupid riddle. But yeah. it ended up being good for me because it just happened. Now, riddles like that that are create riddles that are creative and they involve some gameplay, I guess they can be good. But I have straight up played fucking games where it's like, here's a giant fucking math problem. Do uh-huh. math. Go. It's oh, like no why why is this here why is this written 
And I think that most RPG writers are just terrible at writing riddles. There was there was one time I was okay. So sometimes what will happen is I'll do a riddle, and most of the time someone will be able to get it relatively quickly. Uh, there was one time I was doing this riddle and or a puzzle, and it involved they were on this chessboard, and there was a king on the other side, and there were some knights going around, and blah blah blah, and it was like it was black and white tiled, and they had to figure out that that it was it was chess. And I was trying to hint like really strongly that it was chess, but they just weren't putting it together. And um, it was like black and white. There's a king. There's knights. There's rooks. Bishop. You know. And they were just like, "What? No." And then, and the thing was, is that I was. It, it, we were playing it quite. It was part of a combat thing where they had to destroy the king, the opponent, the other side's king. But um, so I was like, "Damn it!" It, it took a while. <laughs> they eventually got. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> The best riddles experience I've ever had was in a board game called Time Stories, which I consider that game an RPG. We played it like an RPG. But in Time Stories, there was this riddle where I was completely stumped. They give you four tiles with a maze on it, and they say, without moving the tiles around, figure out what order the tiles have to be put in to create a maze that you can solve, and then solve the maze. And I was playing it with a friend that I swear he did beautiful mind shit. And he looked at this thing for about five seconds and went this one here, this one here, this one here, this one here. And he was right. I do not have a brain that works like that. There was there was one time I did a puzzle where I'm like, okay, you guys. And I open it and I, I, I flip around the images and literally in five seconds, someone goes, those are numbers. And I'm like. The door opens, you know, or something. Because like, <laughs> 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 puzzles in my games, the most complicated they get is as you're going through the dungeon, you find a stone, and then when you get to the door, you see that there are three indentations in the in the door. Oh, hey, look, this stone fits in one of these indentations. We have to find two other stones. That's what I write. I actually I think I think that makes sense because some people don't like it like it because it's like, oh, you're just testing the player. And then it's one of those either you get it or you don't. And the the problem is that the riddles don't really develop the characters, per se. They develop the like the players like, you know, they're they're for the players. They aren't like it doesn't develop my character for me as a player to solve a riddle. And I have put. Eight variations of that to, of that stone of annihilation, orb of annihilation trap from Tomb of Horrors in my adventures. <laughs> I love that goddamn thing. I love the. Oh. I stick my hand. Okay, you're dead. The <laughs> <laughs> puzzle. Don't do anything. <laughs> it's not a puzzle. Say- it's just you're dead now. <laughs> There's no way to solve it. It's just a big black hole that if you touch it, you die. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, you didn't know about that, Mikey? No. Yeah, there's a there's a, a statue face. Spoilers for Tomb of Horrors, but there's a statue face, and it has a big and it has a big mouth, and it looks like it's on a door. And if you reach into that big mouth, you're touching a a orb of annihilation, and you die instantly. Oh, so so also another thing is continuing the ga- the game itself. I did come up with a another movie idea. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, too. I don't know. <laughs> Bring us back on track, Ben. Uh, A bunch of guys get paid in beers to fix a roof. A bunch of guys get paid in what? In beers. They get paid beers to fix a roof. Shawshank Redemption. There you go. Yeah, I I I had it right right after my I just rewatched that. It's it's an awesome movie. Yeah. Do you trust your wife? Yeah, I was I was even if you guys didn't figure it out, it's like a guy gets threatened by talking about another guy's wife. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I, I think that is enough one movies. Um, time for promos. Ben, what, what would you like to promote? Uh, promote? Hey, I got a YouTube channel. I go by Puffin Forest, and uh, you guys can find me on Puffin Forest at YouTube channel. Uh, okay. And yeah. If anybody wants to contact you, how do they do it? Uh, they can uh, message me on Twitter if they want to contact me. Yeah. And that's Puffin Forest? Yeah, uh, Puffin Forest, yeah. And besides, it's linked in the YouTube channel, so you can go to the YouTube channel and find me there. <laughs> it's linked. Um, Mike Myler, we didn't give you anything to um, talk about who you are. Why don't you do that and tell us where they can find you and anything they want to promote? Uh, I am a full-time freelance game designer in the RPG industry now for half a decade. Uh, you can find a bunch of my stuff at MikeMyler.com, uh, including several settings for 5th Edition, Shadow of the Demon Lord, Pathfinder. But uh, what I'd really like to promote is Ian Sider, which is a Patreon of over a 1,000 members. 
Uh, we have uh, 260 plus articles at this point, and you can become a member for as low as $5 a month. And we add five more articles every month. It's awesome. Uh, there are seven free articles you can check out at patreon.com slash ensider. E-N-S-I-D-E-R. Uh, you can get a hold of me through my website or on Twitter at MikeMyler2, or um, you can email mike.myler.adventures at gmail.com. If you're a game designer or uh, an artist and you want to work on eInsider, artists should check out for the eInsider submissions thing. It's great. You get rights back to your work after, I think, only a couple of months. Writers should email me, um, and you'll get rights to your work back after a year, and we'll pay you for it in the, in the meantime. Cool. Brian, do you have anything to promote? Um, I'm going to be at NanoCon on March 30th. I'm going to be doing an episode with Odnabbit. I'm going to be doing an episode, a separate okay. episode with um, Doug Jones, the actor who played the fish man in The Shape of Water and Abe Sabian in Hellboy. Um, That's awesome. Ask him if he actually ate the eggs. I am going to. That That's like the only thing I want to know. That, that, that is his face really hurt after question. smiling. I'm going to be asking him questions about Hellboy. I'm going to be asking him questions about Pan's Labyrinth and Buffy. Ask him if his face hurt after smiling like that. And I'm not going to ask, ask him if the fish man actually fucked the woman, because it is a movie, and that is a stupid question. Oh my god, you asked anything? He's like, oh yeah, we totally made it. <laughs> uh. He is a professional actor. He is not He is not the kind of miscreant we normally have on. No offense, Ben and Mike. Hey. <laughs> I'd also like to do a shout out to the Critical Role Kickstarter. Let's make they are now the number ninth Kickstarter of all time. Let's make them number one. That awesome. is amazing that they've raised almost eight million dollars already. Um, as of now, I don't know what it's going to be like when this episode yeah, airs. That's, that's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. How how supportive the fans are and oh, yeah. how uh, everyone's kind of pulling together for this. For the exact number. With 33 days to go at this point of recording, they are at set one. Um, they're at seven million three hundred ninety-six thousand five hundred forty-two dollars. It is incredible. And if you haven't watched the reaction video that did they did, please do that. It's really really funny. It's yeah, it's like ten minutes of just them staring at the camera with their jaws dropped. They're oh yeah like yeah, freaked out. It's great. Yeah, so it, yeah, support really that if you can. Cool. Um, I, I'm I'm all for it. Um. So, hey, Ben, Jeff, fun on this um, crap show we call a podcast? Oh, yeah, it was great. It was awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really appreciated talking to you guys, and thanks for having me on. <laughs> if you'd be willing, I'd love to have you back to talk about organized play one of these days. Hmm, uh, I might be able to work in this schedule. Um, we'll see. Yeah, I'll, we'll, I'll, we'll uh, talk about it later and come up with a calendar item. Um, we try not to jam too many RPG episodes one after the other. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, we'll talk about comic books or something next week. Ben, <laughs> I, ben I have to say, though, Brian was like, "Hey, yeah, do you, uh, do you want to try and have the pu- do you want to have uh, Ben from Puff and Forest?" And I was like, "Dude, that'd be so cool!" And he's like, "Oh yeah, I already messaged him. He replied right away." <laughs> oh, awesome! Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah I was cool. like, "Yeah, I got him." He was like, "What?" Well, I um I called him on the phone, and Michael made squeaking sounds for about five minutes. Yeah, he's like, "Yeah, uh, we I got we got Ben from Puff and Forest on," and I was like, "Ah." <laughs> <laughs> It's good being you too. It's great. I was, I was like, "Are you sure?" He goes, "Yeah." And I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, yeah, once again, great. It's I love being you guys. Thanks. Oh, I have to say, your your animation for one of my favorite bits between Sam Regal and Travis Willingham on oh, Purple wow. is one of my favorite videos of all time. Oh, thanks. Great. Yeah, it's it. I think I think the the animation turned out uh, pretty well. And I mean, a lot of it just comes from the the dynamic between those two character, those two personalities. Oh, and the yeah. fact that in that video, like they don't really interrupt each other. Like there's a lot of very clear dialogue back and forth between the two characters. Because oh, yeah. I was like, oh, how am I going to animate this? Because it's like whenever you have multiple people talking, it's like what's going to happen? But it, I mean, they're clear. They don't talk over each other. They give each other space. You know, it's it's a great scene just between these yeah. two really great actors. <laughs> Throw up on those guards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I had to tell you that because that was one of my favorite ones. And of course, on most of your videos, I'm, I will rewatch dozens of times because they make me laugh and they oh, just remind me of things that have happened during my games. No, I, I understand, and that's that's the other the, the power of of like when we share stories about those dragons that everyone can kind of talk about them and communicate, and it's like you can bring things into certain games. And some people brought in Epsaird, and there was one thing which I shared where someone said like they had to pay. In order to cover a debt, they had to bring Absaird onto the 
boat and he had to go along with the party. He's like, oh, I'm upstairs. This is going to be going with you. We're going to be having a great adventure. He's like, I already want to die. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love hearing back from, from the other people about what they've done with some of the material that I've put out there. The, uh, I can't remember the, the Abolith with the split personality. Oh, whimsy, yeah. Yeah, I want to find a way to integrate him so bad into my into my Taldori campaign. Yeah, he's he's such an he, I mean it's it's such a fascinating character because he has the split personality, but it's also on the other hand he's also a very dark character just from the fact that he's this very lighthearted, but then he has this opposite side which is dark and nefarious, and the two personalities don't mesh with each other. And I I've gotten messages from people where they're talking about ways to like do an enchantment to split the personalities or something like that, or the idea that they might have to fight the other one. I mean, his story is very um, kind of morose. But yeah, he's an interesting character. If you want to hear more banter like this, um, join our Patreon. Um, We're going to do a bonus episode right now, and we're going to talk with Ben and Mike and Michael a little bit more and um, do a little unscripted bullshit. Michael, why don't you wrap us up, and then we'll jump into that bonus episode. I sure will. No, you won't. Ah, damn, he said it. (laughs) Mike Prime, why don't you wrap us up and then we'll jump into that bonus episode. Oh, no, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to my world. (laughs) Oh, God, it's all falling apart. This was Nerd Podcast Radio. Um, We had a great talk about home for RPGs today, and we had a good time talking with everybody on today. Thank you so much, Ben, for being on. Thanks Um, for having me. I am I am telling I am giving um, Mike a swift kick to the ass and jumping into the wrap up of this episode. It was a lot of fun to have you on. It was a really cool episode. And that was Nerd Podcast Radio. I was Super Vegan Brian and um, I was joined by Special Mikey. Bye, everybody. Mike Prime. Bye bye. And Ben from Puppet yeah. Forest. The Puppet Forest. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Everybody. Um, Michael, I'll let you have your line. Oh, thank you. And as always, this is Nerd Podcast Radio, and as always, stay nerdy, stay informed, and stay awesome. Awesome. All right, Ben, say goodbye. Brian, don't you dare cut him off. Bye!